Hi, I'm Johnny Varvel, UK's Editor-in-Chief, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the Varvel Football Podcast. This podcast aims to bring you insight, debate, and entertainment from some of the best and brightest young sports journalists from around the world. Please do give us a listen. You've already started, so I'd recommend staying for a little bit longer at least. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, then please do give us a subscribe. And even better, give us a positive review. Positive reviews are a great way to expand our reach. Not only would this mean a lot to me, but it would mean a lot to over 300 writers that write regularly for Varvel UK. We hope to get as many of them on this podcast as we possibly can over the course of the 2021 to 22 season. Anyway, enough of my waffle. Let's get straight into this. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So yeah, Callum's back from his hiatus last weekend. How are you doing, Callum? I'm very good, mate. I had a lovely weekend. Very mm. nice week. Yeah, well, you? well, you know I didn't. Feeling, <laughs> feeling quite ill and then my own team conceded an 86-minute goal. Uh, we do chat off the podcast, unfortunately. But Harry had... Uh, well, Harry's back actually from from the first podcast, and interestingly, we've got Josh Fletcher as well from Varvel Arsenal. He does his own podcast, Varvel Arsenal podcast, which actually goes up on YouTube. So, a little plug there for you, Josh. And this all came because Jake Leach, actually, who was due to be on, cancelled a few hours before. I sent a message off to Harry. Jake sent a message off to Josh, and then I just thought, oh, you know what? Well, I won't disappoint any of them. We'll merge you both together and have a team of four doing the coverage for this week's podcast how are you both doing one at a time please go on josh uh yeah no good to be on thanks for having me not too impressed with the arsenal game but try to let, try not to let ruin my weekend and enjoyed liverpool chelsea and some of the other games going on so all good all good well my weekend was pretty much ruined after i thought we'd won the game in the 90th minute and then considered a 96 minute equaliser but all the joys have been a newcastle united finally so we'll go to the big story of the weekend. Now, it was an amazing transfer that has just happened. I mean, the world stopped in awe. And quite frankly, everyone, no matter what club you support, was, was literally blown away by the announcement that Maxwell Cornet came to Burnley on Sunday. But apart from that one, Ronaldo as well, he went to Manchester United. He returned... For the first time since 2009, well, obviously he's been back to Old Trafford, but not wearing the red of Manchester United. I mean, Callum, first of all, it, it was quite incredible, wasn't it? No one saw that coming. Yeah, I mean, we were in dialogue, weren't we? You were adamant he was off the city, and then I went for the uh, classic, old, you know, the old, uh, won't believe it until he's holding up the shirt. But it was just sort of, it was insane. And it was sort of that transfer sort of thing that you sort of lost in the modern day because of social media we sort of know what's happening all the time but with the United and Ronaldo thing everything just happened bang 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 so quickly and it's so fitting I, I, it, you wanted him to go somewhere where you knew he was loved or even if he went back to sort of like Sporting Lisbon or something like that but going to United it's just sort of like the full circle isn't it and it's, it's a massive lift and not just United, but the whole Premier League itself, everyone raises the game when they hear someone like Ronaldo's in the league. You know, he's he's a cult figure, he's done it all. 
it's just magical to have a player of that quality back. And you know, I'm 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 happy even as a opposition fan who has no affiliation to Manchester United to watch Cristiano Ronaldo progress Premier League again, even at sort of you know he's an experienced head now. He's not raw talent like when he first came to the league. He's an experienced head, and it's just gonna it's gonna be absolutely brilliant to see him back again. No, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I mean, they did really well to rush through the announcement because they were worried it might clash with Cornet's arrival at Turf Moor. So it was very fortunate that they managed to stop that big clash uh, on social media. What a signing. I mean, Harry, from your point of view, he could be making his debut against your team in two weeks' time. I mean, that's quite a frightening. And also, like you, like you said, it's quite, while it's quite a frightening prospect, you also said, oh, fair, it's also quite a privilege to see the return of Ronaldo against your team. Kind of. Other than Alan Shearer, he's my favourite player of all time. So it's an absolute privilege to see Cristiano Ronaldo play. I saw him play in Madrid at the Bernabeu when I was like 16. It, I, I'll never, ever forget the day. It's going to be, a, well, I think playing Man United, regardless of Ronaldo playing or not, is a pretty daunting proposition for a Newcastle fan. But like Callum said, it's, it's great for the Premier League just to have a player of his quality back. We've lost like a superstar. We've not had this for so long. So to have, I know he's 36, but Cristiano Ronaldo is not a normal 36-year-old footballer. He's easily got another two to three years left at him at the very top. And I expect him still to score 20 to 25, maybe even 30-plus this season. He's that good. Mm. Josh, echo those thoughts or a bit worried, a bit yeah, annoyed yeah. as an Arsenal fan maybe that the, the, the transfer... Yeah, I mean, seen. mixed feelings really. Obviously, it's delighted to have him back in the league. I just sort of just missed his prime where he um, played in the Premier League, but obviously sort of seen all the videos and stuff. I was sort of hoping he went to City just to just to annoy the United fans. I've sort of friends with quite a few United fans who were who were sort of feeling very much betrayed and sort of burning shirts almost City went to City. So it would have been very funny to see. But again, to have him back in the Premier League, we've not had someone of his sort of name or status, I think, since I think probably since Latan. I think he's the only one you can almost compare it to in terms of in terms of the name. Um, but far and away, top two players in mm. the world still at 36 yeah. so incredible yeah. definitely no fantastic fantastic um actually it's quite you know Zlatan was also one of my favorite players and you know and you love don't you everything that comes with not just the performance on the pitch but the the ego the arrogance but it's brilliant and it's absolutely fantastic and we need personalities in modern day football and quite frankly I don't think we have enough of them so yeah Ronaldo coming back the status the symbol it's absolutely wonderful and it was as, as you say this the second biggest signing in the in recent days um so we'll go on to the action then in terms of the actual action on the field it seems quite fitting actually with Ronaldo being discussed so evidently at the start of this to go into the Wolves Man United game which was a fantastic game never a 1-0 as such but I couldn't help but think watching that particularly in the first half even though this guy is a superstar he's brilliant you'd anyone would have him if they could have him Manchester United's issue was never necessarily the guy up front but actually the guy who plays in defensive midfield next to Paul Pogba now they play Fred they play McTominay as a double pivot people go why don't we play Pogba in the deeper position I think today or well Sunday evidenced exactly why because they should have been two or three down before half before the second half started, shouldn't they, Callum? Yeah, I mean, Fred was just... Fred had a Fred sort of combustion performance, didn't he? He was just... Especially at the start, he was ran ragged. All of, I know he's dealing with a Dharma Shire or running at him, but you'd expect to at least sort of put in some form of effort to win the ball back. 
but it, it, they were at sixes and sevens. I mean, before you even comment on United, I think you have to say how impressive Wolves were. I don't think there's a side that have been as unlucky as they have in their three games. They've played excellently in all three. I think as the shift that they've had to make, they're, they're playing such a different style to what they played under Nuno, but to get the grasp of it so quickly and look so exciting, that speaks volumes to them. But as you say, you know, Fred sort of, he has these glimpses where he can show Chase's talent, but too many times they just look lacklustre, just too easily, lost the ball far too easily, just didn't have that sort of presence that you'd want from number six in midfield. And, you know, you had Varane and Maguire, which, I mean, it's not the worst two to have behind to mop up the mistakes of Fred, but, you know, serious improvements required. Whether they go out and get someone now, I don't think there's enough time for him to go and get a number six of the quality that United need, but it is sort of that missing piece of the jigsaw, and that was evident today, as you said. I mean, Varane was excellent today. I think he was very, very, very good and a clear improvement of what they had, but you're absolutely right, I think. Particularly when you look at someone like Chelsea or Manchester City or even Liverpool, there's an obvious midfield balance, an obvious balance in the team. And that's not there when Man United try and fit all the players in that they've got. I mean, what what made me laugh slightly was the fact that he was shoehorning all the attacking players. He had Daniel James on the right. And I thought, well, surely, you know, I get I get the point to try to put Pogba in the d- double pivot just to fit all those attacking players in. But again, it just felt like a really weird selection today from Solskjaer. And he, I mean, his goalkeeper bailed him out. David De Gea put in a throwback performance in many ways, didn't it? A number of good stops, a number of good claims, and none better than that double save from uh, Saiz in the second half, Harry. I mean, it was a real throwback performance from a goalkeeper that's come under a lot of criticism in recent years. Yeah, absolutely delighted for him, to be honest, because I think he's had a lot of stick, and of course his performances are not, in the last few years at least, have not something we'd associate with the quality that David De Gea we all know possesses. So it was great for him, but... Like Callum said about Wolves, they were incredibly unlucky, uh, unlucky today. They've had a tough opening three games. They've arguably played three of the best, you know, some of the best sides in the division. Bruno Large is, is, is a new manager. They've grasped the concept of that it seems pretty quickly. And it's a matter of time before results turn around for them. They'll not be near any relegation, Bob, I don't assume. And But it's a results business, that's the thing. Burnley and Newcastle arguably play some of the worst football in the division. I know are both of them. That's that's it. Like so I included your team in there, just not to I've spite got me personally. Yeah, thank you. I've got you, Johnny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very good, very good. Good, good, um, good understanding there. I mean, probably get onto that later. But Josh, from I know, and I quite both both Callum and, and Harry are quite right to point out the wonders of Wolves and how well they did. And they did play really, really well. And to be honest, they're not going to be under any threat this season if they play like that every single game because eventually that XG will count for something, I think. But again, from the Man United perspective, compared to some of the rivals who are going for the title, can you see obviously the game plan that Man United look to operate with? I know one of the criticisms of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in comparison to other coaches is that tactically doesn't look like the team know what they're doing and they just sort of rely too heavily on individual quality at different moments. That depends if individuals are really up for it in that given moment. Did you feel that, like that was a bit the case today? Because inevitably they scored a winner from a Mason Greenwood drive that the goalkeeper could have done a little bit better with. Apart from that, really, they didn't do too much, did they? No, I, I can't think of anything that really excites me about United at the moment. Obviously, we're still, still talking pre-Ronaldo, but 
like you said, there's a lot of good individual players. Pogba looks okay in the midfield at the moment. Uh, Green was in form. You've still got Cavani and Rashford. You've got all these names, but they don't gel. Um, and I think that I think coming back to it again, that number six, that good holding midfielder, is the key. I mean, I've sort of spoken to people and sort of said, if Liverpool are in for Basuma, why aren't United? That's the sort of player that completely transformed that midfield. I think personally, he's better than Fred and McTominay, and could really solidify their midfield. The sword deal looks like it's gone a bit dead. But I think I think they're one player away, maybe a better right back than Wan-Bissaka, but they're one player away from being a top team again. Um, it's just I don't know whether they have the minerals to go out and get that key midfielder rather than sort of following the Tomine and Fred Root. Bissouma's a quality shout, actually, Josh. I didn't think. I mean, it, it's something that's so obvious as well. You see the way he plays in that Brighton system, and he does a great job off the ball, very tidy on the ball. I actually think Fred does quite a good job off the ball. It's just on the ball. He gives the ball away. So it's like, I remember someone told me on a podcast I did a, a while back, he's like, a, he'd be a perfect dog, which I thought was hilarious, in that you get the ball and then you and then he'd give it you back and then you throw it away and then he'd give it you back. It's, so that was a wonderful analogy, I thought. But yeah, I think Basuma is a wonderful, wonderful shout, actually, and something that I'm surprised, you know, there, there hasn't been much talk about it. Like you said, it, it, it has gone dead, but maybe with a few days left of the window, they can do something there. Though Brighton, as you well know, might drive a hard bargain given that they managed to take £50 million out of you for Ben White. Maybe Josh shakes his head. So, uh, there you go, a bit of audio description. We don't provide the, uh, the video quality, unfortunately. But, I mean, on to that Arsenal game then, Josh. I mean, that, we have to go there. It was... Um, well, it was an interesting watch. It was difficult watch, even for the neutral. Even for me, I felt quite. It was like I was watching someone be physically beaten, and it was not. It was not nice. Um, so I can only imagine your emotions through that game. In fact, the best the best question really to start with is, what were your emotions at the end of that, and how do they differ from now? Is there any perspective, or is it similarly raw? frustration and just anger at, at what you'd witnessed I think you've like to talk about the Arsenal you've got to start the team selection which I don't think any or any Arsenal fan or any football fan I know could quite understand um, playing three at the back in a game that you really didn't need to with Kolasinac who was a left wing back starting at left centre back when he was apparently leaving the club four days ago um, so it was yeah annoying team selection very frustrating and then it it's the same old story for us this season. We start good for the first three or so minutes. And then if we don't get an early goal, completely capitulate and we're 2-0 down within 20 minutes or whatever it was. And it it was just, I've got to the point now almost where it's, I'm still annoyed and upset, but I'm not angry at the team anymore. It's just almost accepting the inevitable. Um, and we know Arteta won't get sacked for a while. It won't be anything good for the team there's no point with the transfer window closed um so it's just just frustration and it's nothing's really going to change because we know what the team and the board are like so just accepting the inevitable really now i've got to that point it's just not even not even anger well yeah i mean i, I yeah very well put really there's not much to I, that is really bleak that is that is just exactly what you'd expect i suppose i mean from the arteta point of view then I mean, you've sort of touched on it from top to bottom, Josh. It, it is a mess. Uh, the recruitment's been bizarre. 
I think, for, for quite a while. The way I look at it, in many ways, when Arteta came in, there was a bit of a, there was a, a bit of a rena- a bit of a revival after the the down- downturn under Unai Emery. There was a bit of a resurgence. You could see things happening. I used to watch Arsenal, compared them to maybe a Lampard, Chelsea, or at the time Solskjaer United. I thought, oh, we well, can see patterns of play going on with the right recruitment. This could be stepped up, and, and we could see something. And then there was a poor recruitment last summer, which been followed by an interesting set of re- recruits this summer, and at the it almost seemed to me like the players when they were playing on the field at the Etihad were looking around as disillusioned at how there hasn't been that progress in recruitment, how the tactics just don't see it. Just everything looked confused. Everything looked disjointed. Nothing looked like it was in any cohesion. It looks like they've gone backwards. I mean, has he lost the dressing room? Is it, is it, is it just the fact that, the players aren't good enough. Why are, I mean, why are they in this state? I'm re- I've got 500 questions and it's just ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, confused is a perfect way to put it. And it's almost how I think I feel as a fan in this fan base that we can't quite make out what's going on. I think you look at last summer and the Willian signing was a bit weird. But apart from that, you can sort of be like, right, we need another centre-back for some cover because Bethel Louise looks a bit shaky. And we sort of, we brought in smartly and then it was a bit sort of demoralising season. I thought he lost the dressing room for a lot earlier than it's being talked about now. I think that Europa League campaign was, I mean, dreadful. He, he didn't look, didn't look confident in the team. The team didn't look confident or they're play, not playing for him, especially finishing eighth. Um, and then this summer, you let, you let three or four good centre-backs go. Um, Dave Louise went, Mavropanos had a good season on loan in Germany. He went, Zach Medley looked a promising youngster. He had good spells at Gillingham and um, Kilmarnock, I think it was. Looked okay. Um, Saliba, 30 million. He's not played a game for us. He's back out on loan. Um, and you go and spend 50 million on centre-back, who's had one okay season in the Premier League. I know he's looked good for Leeds on loan. He made England squad, but he's not proven himself at the top level. We need, I think we need to create a midfielder. Odegaard came in, but he was here on loan. It doesn't feel like a new signing. We've not addressed the right-back issue when we've got four right-backs. None of them are good enough, and at least two of them want to leave. Um, yeah, it's just a mess, but I think that's Arteta and Edu's fault. We can't sort of say that we've not spent money because we've spent the most in the league, potentially in Europe. I'm not quite sure of that, but definitely in the league. It, yeah, mess from top to bottom is a perfect way of putting it really and it's there's a lot I can say but it, it would just get boring because I'll just be, be repeating the same thing over and over again that no one's good enough well I was I was I was reading an, an opinion actually and it's not my words but the words of someone who on social media or whatever and they were saying that basically Mikel Arteta has a perfect tactical blueprint to take on virtually any team you know he's come from Manchester City he's got the plan from Guardiola he's got his own nuances that he wants to fit in but essentially from top to bottom almost, maybe barring the strikers, the team isn't good enough to implement that across the board. Um, now, is that Arteta's fault that he's not flexible enough to alter that? Or is that... what? what, what would First of all, would you agree with that? And secondly, who is making these transfers, do you think? Do you think it's the, the sports director or do you think it's more emphasis on the manager for these for these deals? 
I, I'm not sure I agree. I don't. Like, I can't tell you what Arteta's game plan is. It sort of feels almost he's so dependent on about three players: uh, Saka, Smith Rowe, and Tierney. Bamiyang, you can't rely on anymore. He's didn't have a good season. He's looking a bit old. Lacazette, fine, looked good in pre-season, hasn't proven it. Um, and it just sort of feels a bit disjointed. And then he goes and like, oh, Jacques gets, gets sent off yesterday, and he doesn't make a change straight away. And you'll have you have a midfield of um, Odegaard and who's an attacking midfielder. It doesn't all fit. And then and like and then he comes on. And he drops Lukonga, who's looked solid. And there's just a lot of things that just don't make sense. I think he has to have a say in transfers. I think they he won the FA Cup, then they changed his contract. They gave him a managerial position, not a head coach role. So I think he's got some involvement. I think Edu's got some involvement. And I think, like it was now, it's business. So it's it's who's friends with what agents. It's why you've seen uh, Willian come in from Keir Drabjian. And a lot of his players have come in. A lot of Brazilian players have come in because Eddie's Brazilian. So it, it feels very political and it's I, I can't understand it. As fans, it's easy to say, right, we need X, Y, Z. They're available. Put in a good bid for them and then we can improve the team. And they go and sign players that no one really wants or feels we need. Mm. No, yeah, it's really... Yeah, I mean... Trying to dissect Arsenal's problems is a podcast in itself, maybe four or five, actually, and you can probably attribute it to little different assets, uh, facets of it. I mean, it's ridiculous, but I think you did quite a good job of summarising that in about eight or nine minutes. Um, not that it's necessarily something you wanted to do. Harry, on the other hand, Manchester City in that game were tremendous. I mean, no Cristiano Ronaldo, no Harry Kane, but you've got Ferran Torres in the false nine, as well as many other players who, well, we always said, like, it always made me laugh. Manchester City need to replace Sergio Aguero. Sergio Aguero did barely played a game last season and he nearly won the treble. So, I mean, they, they've got quite a good squad already, haven't they? They've got a brilliant team. I think the striker, the, the Harry Kane, the Ronaldo would have been the icing on the cake. But like Pep said, he's relatively relaxed about it, isn't he? He doesn't really need a striker. The team's quality, got to say yesterday, they were brilliant. I know Arsenal were, were awful, but Manchester City still put five past them. They were excellent. I've got to say, I am loving Jack Grealish's new role just in behind the attackers. I think we're going to see we're going to see some even more fantastic stuff from him. Gabriel Jesus, special shout out for him as well. I know he kind of goes under the radar a lot, and maybe he's a bit underrated. I understand he's in a he's probably got one of the easiest gigs in Premier League football, but credit to him, had a really good game yesterday. And and Ferran Torres, I think they paid was it twenty million pounds for him. Yep. That could be one of the signings of last summer, of, but easily, easily. Yeah. Um, only second to Corne in the past in the past of year, course. of course. Um, third to Joe Willock. Third to Joe Willock. I've got yeah. your back, Harry. Very good. Thanks. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think it's um, I think I think that's pretty much. I mean, I, we could go on forever about Manchester City, but it seemed like there was, and I'm sure you'd agree, Callum. Really, it was a it was a game where you. I was going to say learnt nothing actually, but I suppose we did because a lot of people were saying now that they haven't got Harry Kane, now they haven't got Ronaldo, now they haven't got that seller striker that Harry said icing on the cake. Essentially, they'll be out of this title race because everyone else is strengthened. But no, that is simply, simply not the case, is it? Because they actually thrive by having a false nine, having four or five players that can get double figures makes them very hard to play against, very unpredictable. Who are you supposed to mark in the box? You're on mute. I'm all right. I'm all right now. Yeah. So anyway, I think we have a tendency with um, 
Man City just because of the nature of how good they are as a side. We sort of overlook just when they do play on top form. And yes, there is a perfect example. It's ruthless. It's what title winners do. They put teams to the sword and, you know, they didn't just put Arsenal to the sword. They just absolutely dead and buried them, didn't they? Pretty early on that, you know, that that sort of false nine and you have all those players, they can interchange, can't they? It's like you say, it's so hard to pick up. And then, you know, you, you take off one player and then another player with just as much quality, if not more, is coming on. And it's sort of, it's sort of this never ending, relentless wave after wave of constant attack. And, you know, when you have players that, have the ability to have the free creative role like a Jack Grealish and then you have the player sort of like Farron Torres who drift in and out constantly. One minute they're wide, one minute they're in. You know, it's it's borderline impossible almost, especially with the quality they have. And, you know, sometimes they look like they're just sort of steamrolling through games. But, you know, we all know how relentless Guardiola is, how ruthless he is. That team is as good as it is for a reason. You know, these players... Mm-hmm are real quality players and I think that showed, you know, Arsenal, yeah, were poor, but I think you can't discredit just how good Man City were yesterday. Yeah, no, absolutely true, absolutely true. Absolutely within the uh, title hunt, as I suppose are Man United to a point, but really other big clash of the weekend was the Liverpool-Chelsea game, which had a lot, quite a bit of, con- well, some element of controversy to it. It was a very good first half, game changed on the decision. On the stroke of half-time, Reese James sent off, penalty given, scored by Salah, sent off for a handball offence. Now, I, I had a bit of an argument with a few people on Twitter. That's fine. Very, very um, healthy, polite argument. I call it a debate about um, whether or not it should have been a red card. And I think I think that's going to be the base of the discussion, really. I might find myself outnumbered here, but I'll reveal my opinion after. Josh, what did you think about that one? It was... It was an incident that was over in the blink of an eye, the Derrick James handball. Firstly, what do you think of the moment? Secondly, what do you think now? Watching it on the telly, I looked look at it and I thought, he's just saved his team a certain goal. He's done really well. Um, then you see the replay and he, he sort of thinks it's hit his knee first, bounced up. And you sort of look at it more and more and analyse it. And he's moved his arm towards the ball. Um, so I think... He has moved his arm towards it, so I think it is a potential for red card. <laughs> I'm looking at faces and no one looks too amused by my um, opinion. So That's just my face, unfortunately. I, definite penalty, I think. I think red card because it's he's moved his ball, his arm towards the ball. It's a natural position, maybe, maybe not, but there's an intent there to block it with his hand. So I'd say red card and penalty was correct. Harry, you went for a curry after this incident. Was that because you were feeling aggrieved at the red card or or, or not? That, he told me that before we went on the pod. He didn't just reveal it if you think you've not heard it. Sorry, go on, Harry. Your moment Unfortunately, not me. It was it was big for quite a while. But I've got a thing is, right, I'm going to be boring here. I'm going to sit on the fence with it because I still don't know to now. Mm. It's really, really harsh on Rhys James because it looks like it hit off his thigh, <laughs> then it bounces up and hit his arm, which... If you're going by the rules, it's a penalty. Mm. Essentially, he's saved Chelsea from conceding the goal. That means it's a red card. But it's it's difficult. It, the referees had a he's got he's had a tough call there. But if you're going to go with the rules, it's a penalty and a red card, unfortunately. Callum, yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't get to watch it in real time, so I've only seen replay after replay. But for me, I just feel like the nature is it's it's one of those ones where it's harsh, but you have to give the red card because if he's not there that ball's in the back of the net. It's a goal. You know, 
and regardless of whether he, it's either hit his knee first or he's moved his arm first, it's hit his arm and it's denied a clear goal scoring opportunity. It has to be a penalty and it has to be a red card, I think. Well, it's, I think it's a penalty. My argument was, so obviously I'll take the other side, my argument was in the time, people were going, oh, it's the rules, it's the rules, it's the rules, you know, like the bloody, I don't know, that teacher no one likes. Um, but that, that that was my vibe. That's what someone said, writer for Liverpool Echo says, right, okay, we'd well, be interested if it was the other two. But my argument was, rules are there obviously in place to be followed and to obviously so chaos doesn't ensue on the football field. But we see rules bent all the time to a point because Fabinho did three quite late tackles, all of which could have been bookings. And if we're following the rules, he should have been sent off because in theory, obviously it's all hypothetical. If he does one of those, he gets booked. He probably doesn't do the other two. But obviously the referee in that situation is saying, well, this is a feisty game between two very close, closely matched teams. I'm going to let them get away with a few because I want the, you know, the feistiness to continue for the full 90. He doesn't want the game to lose itself. And then in that situation, for me, you, I saw, like you said, Harry, the ball deflects up, hits his arm. It's almost a reactionary movement. I don't think it's not nothing on the lines of the Suarez one from World Cup 2010, where he's basically you know, doing the goalkeeper action himself. There's a deflection up onto the arm. And it's almost a re- reactionary reflection movement. I think even Jurgen Klopp said he didn't really want to see him sent off for that incident. He might have said something different if he hadn't have been, but that's what he said afterwards. And to me, my argument would be, yes, by the rules, it probably is a red card, but also by the rules, we should have seen Fabinho on a booking within the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And he should have, and he didn't even get booked through the whole game and he was allowed to get away with several quite late tackles, all of which was supposed to be, in my mind, so that the spectacle could play itself out a little better without, everyone being carded on each side of the team. So what's the difference there where I don't think Reese James knows too much about it. Surely a booking and a penalty is a way of bending the rules to a point without ruining the spectacle. No, Josh. I also think that you've got to look at Anthony Taylor there, that he's, he's gone very quickly mm. over, made his decision, then been told to look at the screen and it's half a glance really, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I've seen, I've seen, we've all seen VAR decisions go to the screen. And I mean, I've seen it in person and they, they spend more than, more than a few looks and replays at any, it just felt as if he, he knew what he wanted to do, had half a glance at half a replay and then went back and confirmed it. It was, which I think doesn't really go with the way VAR is meant to be. You're meant to have, it's meant to be clear and obvious and whatever it is. But in that, the, the speed that happened, you can't take a look at a replay that quickly and and be sure. Because, I mean, none of us, no, no fans were sure either. I think players weren't even sure. So mm. to, the amount of time he spent at the VAR screen, I think, was, wasn't was really fair on, on James. He should have given it a proper look. Yeah, you're right. Tuchel commented on that, actually, after as well. He did say if he'd have actually seen the full video in, in action, he might have thought differently. So that's a fair point, Josh. I actually forgot about that. Um, in terms of the game, though, briefly, because that took up quite a bit of the discussion, but who do we learn more from or who has the bigger credentials for the title after that game? I think it's quite obvious, but just for clarity, Harry, you probably Chelsea looking like a serious, serious force, given how they managed to withstand the pressure in the second half. Oh, absolutely. Chelsea, if anything, that's probably one of the best singular points they'll gain all season. Liverpool, arguably, I know the fans will say they're in for the title, but when you compare them to the likes of Manchester City, Manchester United, and of course uh, Chelsea, they aren't really. 
Liverpool really should have won that game when you think of it. I think it would have been a massive turning point this early on in their season if they were able to get a win over Chelsea, but they couldn't do it against 10 men. They couldn't break them down. And for Chelsea, it's a, it's a, it's a great part in the road, you've got to say. No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it was a, it was a very, fa- it was a fascinating game, really. And um, I think I would expect both teams to be up there. Like you say, I, d- I do see Liverpool as sort of the team outside those three. But then in terms of balance, I think they've got more balance than Man United, say, across the board, particularly when the full 11's fit. So I'll have to wait and see how that unfolds. Now, just a brief detour to Scotland. I know Callum's very excited by the old firm game today. Um, shakes his head, but he was very excited because he said, oh, are you watching the old firm? I said, oh, I might do. I might put it on. It uh, wasn't too excited after the game, given his close connection to Celtic, but it was... It was it was an interesting match, wasn't it? It was quite quite hard fought, um, fairly even Stevens, but but unfortunately, uh, from your perspective, Rangers um, Rangers got the edge on that one. Yeah, I think um, uh, there was a few tactical sort of elements. Um, for Kyogo, sort of you know taking like a duck to water. Really, he's been exceptional since his first start playing for um, for Celtic and. Um, you know, I think there was a tactical mistake. He's been playing down the middle predominantly, but he starts Edward down the middle. He said that was because James Forrest was injured, you know. But I think overall across the board, it was a really good game from an entertainment perspective, wasn't it? You know, it was back and forth. You know, I think the game was marred ever so slightly by no away fans in the ground. But, you know, that's a separate issue in itself. Um, neither Rangers haven't really set the world light at the start of this season neither is Celtic but Celtic's a work in progress uh, Rangers lots of people out with Covid you know Gerald's out Covid several first teamers both first and second choice goalkeeper are out and um, in the end I feel like a lot of it you know sort of the atmosphere probably played a bit of a part in it you know Rangers fans are up for it aren't they first time they're seeing their side as champions against their biggest rivals for a long time Um and, you know, it's just one of those ones where sort of, you know, there were there were tweaks where you could have changed stuff. You know, I thought Juranovic, who came in, made his debut, was really solid for Celtic. Played left-back as well as predominantly a right-back. So he looked quite solid. You know, it's probably, defensively, it's probably one of the best performances Celtic put in because they have looked shaky at the back in recent times. And, you know, still, it's a work in progress. You know, they've, they've changed a lot. There's a lot of new players in, but, you know... This one game won't define the end of the season. I think it's a quite close title race up in Scotland if you based it upon performance. I know. Obviously, you watched it as well. You've got a mm. bit more of a neutral tinted vision to it. So, I don't know what you thought of it. Uh, I thought Celtic uh, controlled much of the possession. I think Rangers were less fussy about how they went about the business, trying to get the ball forward more quickly, more aggressively, created more of the chances for the for the majority of the game. I do think when they went ahead, those the sort of sat deeper Celtic started to be a bit more penetrative, and they did have a few chances at the end, which probably would have meant, meant that a, a, a draw was a fair result in that instance. But for them. For the more majority of the game, I would say that it was more Celtic looking good, playing the ball out from the back, getting the ball forward, progressing it forward, but lacking that killer instinct in the final third, whereas Rangers once just wanted to get the ball forward, get shots off, and I think they created a little bit more from that perspective. But yeah, it was a, it was an entertaining game from a neutral perspective. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't watch Scottish football that often, but again, I thought it was quite a, it's quite a <clears throat> good game to watch. Now. Amusingly, while that was going on, there were fireworks going off outside Harry's house, as he put in the chat. Don't come to me. No one gets away with anything on these on these podcasts, unfortunately. Um, but 
There's no better place to start, really, Harry, than the 2-2 thriller at St. James's Park. T- your team going 2-1 up, Newcastle 2-1 up in added time, only to go to 2-2. But, hey, it was a good game, wasn't it? I suppose. From my well, point of view, it was a good, uh, exciting one, end-to-end. As ever, it was, a, it was a thriller in the second half. But to be honest, Newcastle getting a draw from that game, they were relatively fortunate. They were awful opening 45 minutes. Johnny thought he was funny. He put a little uh, photo of the stats at halftime in our Newcastle group chat, which, of course, really, really pleased everyone. Yeah. Fortunately, second half, we were a lot better. Got a goal up through Callum Wilson. That's exactly what he does. He puts the ball in the back of the net, pulled back by a relatively fortunate equaliser. And then 90th minute, Alan St. Maximan puts the ball in front of the Gallagher there and smashes it home. We're thinking, we've won the game. You've got everybody on Twitter. You've got journalists going, St. Maximan has won the game for Newcastle. I was like, nah. This is Newcastle. They will still manage to mess this up. Lo and behold, they did. Shock and defending. Penalty, James Ward-Prowse. He ain't going to miss from 12 yards. Mm. And in, in the end, it was probably a, a fair result. But if anything, Newcastle were probably fortunate to get a point from the game. Well, yeah, I read actually on, on social media, don't know how this, true this was, there's something along the lines of Southampton had racked up this, it might be different after, this, after the Wolves game just gone, but they'd racked up the second highest XG in any game so far this season. Because I think the, well, Gineppo missed an open goal. Then he nearly missed, well, it wasn't quite an open goal again, but it was it was a very, very good opportunity. Um, but then it's quite it's quite odd because we had Southampton, many of us, as, as relegation candidates, but they did play very, very well, didn't they, in, in that game? And did, did it make you feel worse about your own team, Harry? Or Well, that's the thing, because I think I said in the, in the Newcastle group chat after is, how many points realistically are Newcastle going to pick up this season? They've arguably, you know, they've drawn arguably one of the, worst sides in the division I would say in Southampton there's no disrespect for them they played well they were better than us but they didn't win that's that's the worry we've got as Newcastle fans there's no there's no hope I know Arsenal fans talk about you know how miserable their time is try supporting Newcastle because it really really is difficult it definitely knocks your, your life expectancy down by 10 or 15 years but it's just it's just a difficult time there's nothing really to look forward to there's going to be no signs we expect in the coming days the midfield is desperate for new recruits. Mm. Defensively, the writing's on the wall. They've conceded, I think, eight goals in the first three games and, and picked up a single point. The only shining star in this team is Alan St. Maximan. And like I said in the first And Jeff Hendrick as well. He's a good, he, Hendrick. He was good for Burnley. We were sad when he left. <laughs> you can have him back. Oh, well you... yeah, yeah, the, the shining star in this, this team is St. Maximan. Like I said in the opening podcast, Wilson as well, though. Wilson's a very yeah, good Yeah, Callum Wilson as well. Yeah. But you've got the the rest of the team's just not up to it, unfortunately. And you're only going to win a certain amount of games and you're only going to get a certain height in the table. And as it looks, the highest we're going to get is 17th. Cool. Happy. Yeah. Anyway, um, on to, on to, I'll tell you what, we'll go, we'll go to the Burnley game now. You know what, we, we, we've been doing this Burnley-Newcastle thing all the way through. We'll go to the Burnley game. Callum, interesting game. Leeds are a good side. Burnley, obviously a wonderful side. Um, it was it was a very, I'd say it was quite even, Stephen. You said a draw was probably fair, probably was a fair result, even though I'm slightly frustrated at the fact that Patrick Bamford scored with the first shot on target in the 86th minute. It was still quite a, a, a good, I'd say a good physical derby kind of game, wasn't it? Yeah, it had that sort of, you know, Yorkshire-Lancashire feel, didn't it, really? But Burnley quite well to nullify Leeds. We all know what Leeds are, just intense, aren't they? They go at you for 90 minutes, don't stop. 
thought Burnley did really well to nullify that. I thought for the Burnley goal, I don't know if it's harsh on the keeper, but could have maybe done better. I, I know sort of it's, he's in a tight area, there's players all around him, but you expect him to maybe palm that away a little bit further. Wood is four home. yards out though, isn't he? I mean, it's, you know, he's yeah. not... Well, yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. He's he's close out. Whether he sort of, I don't know, didn't think he could or whatever, and it's just unfortunate. Maybe it's a bit harsh, but you know. And then sort of leads, Rafinha's their man is, and he sort of had a bit of a quieter game, didn't he today? But then the bet the quality players are the ones who can sort of coast through a game and do nothing, and then conjure up something out of nothing. And he did really well to get past Taylor. Mm. His shots well blocked, and it's just sort of right place at right time, is he, Patrick Manford? Just like Chris Wood, yeah. must be your goal. Is in the right place at the right time, and I'd say on reflection, both both teams will probably walk away feeling like they could have won it. But in reality, a point isn't the worst for either side. Yeah, especially after losing two games. I think it was Shackleton shot. I think Rafinha took Taylor on, then Shackleton shot was deflected. I do think it was good. I mean, Rafinha did miss a sitter as well, but he's an unbelievably quality player, you know, wonderful to watch unless he's playing against your team. He's, uh, you know, a real, real skillful talent, and I'm sure he will go on to bigger things in the not-too-distant future. Uh, Josh, West Ham 2, Palace 2. That was really entertaining, actually. Uh, London derby between a West Ham team that are on fire bit leaky at the back, but going forward, they've got some superstars like Antonio, who's in the form of his life. Yeah, I think I watched West Ham Leicester live. I was at London Stadium for that and they looked very good. Um, very strong <coughs> against the Leicester team that we, I think we all had all our finishing fifth or so, maybe breaking into Champions League. Um, did very well last season, so it was a bit of a shock to see that. Um, and again, I think West Ham have always had that problem of Fine, they might have some great forward players who are expected to do well, um, but never really looked the best at the back. And they've obviously lost Balbuena. Um, Diop um, is good. Kurt Zuma's coming in. That should hopefully make an improvement to them. And I don't know. I think I think West Ham look good. They could make a real challenge for Europe again. I don't think... Well, I didn't, definitely didn't have them finishing top six or seven again this season with their Europa League campaign. But... They look good. Antonio looks a class forward. Um, again, Pablo Fornau's revolutionary. I've never really looked particularly fondly of him. I thought there was better options in Lanzini there in that position, but he he scored. He looked good against Leicester. He's, he's performing well, so I think West Ham have got a lot to look forward to this season. But yeah. they're very strong playing. It's good for Palace to get some mm. goals on the board, point on the board. That might take a bit of pressure off. Um, certain Arsenal legend in Vieira there. Hopefully they can do some business and I think Vieira could get them firing if they get a couple of players in. Two great goals from Gallagher as well, wasn't it? I mean, the second one, lovely, it's sort of a Cruyff turn, isn't it? And then drills it into the near post. It wasn't the most convincing performance, was it, Josh? But at the same time, it is a work in progress, isn't it? Vieira taking over a team that was been managed for quite a while by Roy Hodgson that's undergone a lot of surgery in the transfer market. It's going to take a bit of time for everything to gel. Yeah, I think a lot of, I think a lot of their signing. I think Will Hughes is a smart signing. Um, I think they're still being linked heavily to Enketia, who I think could suit that team very well, especially playing in front of um, Zahar Eze when he comes back. Gallagher, it could look strong if they get Nelson on loan um, as well. I think 
I mean, I think he could do well if he gets gets a proper goal scorer in. I know they've got other strikers, but no one really good enough. And a couple more players, I think Vieira could have got a quiet team on his hands. Yeah, exactly. Exa- hopefully, exciting times for Palace because. Again, again, while they've been surviving in recent years, there has been a bit of neg- quite a lot of negativity around Selhurst Park at the brand of play. Obviously, there's always the risk-reward issue when you try and be more expansive, but hopefully for Palace, it goes better than the last time they tried to be expansive under Frank the Moor. Harry, in terms of Brighton-Everton, I said to you at the start that Everton had a manager who was the least liked among his own fans. However... You will well, you will now well know that he's probably not, and that probably accolade probably falls to the manager of your team, unfortunately. But in terms of Benitez, he's turned it around. In, in well, he's not turned it around. There's been three games gone in the league, but implementing a style of play which is simple, quick, effective with what he has has, has really worked wonders. Get the ball out wide, cross the ball in, get the ball forward quickly, get the ball to the wingers to Murray Gray, Andros Townsend. Gray's been a steal. Do you think the simplicity of the way Everton are playing is? really working at the moment with Benitez and how surprised are you that he's stormed the start in his first three games with two wins and a draw? I'll answer the second question first. I'm not surprised one bit because I always knew that Rafa Benitez would do a fantastic job at Everton. Seems he's been in the fans over as well which is great. They're solid defensively, they're ruthless going forward and I really do think, I know they've had three relatively easy opening games but I do feel this is a start of a potential European challenge I certainly think Benitez will do a better job than Ancelotti did last season. I think the playstyle is a lot more simplistic. But the question is, like you alluded to before, Johnny, is Damari Gray potentially one of the signings of the season? One and a half million yep. pounds. That's a you don't you don't get players like that for one and a half million pounds nowadays, do you? It was a super goal. I mean, Brighton, to be fair, as well in that it was quite it was quite an even game actually. Penalty sort of decided it in the second half, and it was a wonder goal from Gray in the first half that that obviously opened the scoring. But from Brighton's point of view, even, and of course, Ben White's gone to Arsenal now, so that's the key player of theirs gone. But they've still got the uh, the core of a fantastic team that are very, very much in 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 inundated under Graham Potter's style and philosophy. They all know how to play. They all know what they're supposed to do. They all know their jobs. So you wouldn't see it being a problem for them this season, avoiding relegation and pushing up from where they finished last season. Yeah, I think they'll, I think they'll still be around the... 13th, 14th spot this season. They looked a lot, they looked great in the first two games. They they took their chances, but they didn't do that yesterday. They still they dominated the ball. They had 66 possession, I think they had yesterday. Had some decent chances, but similar to last season, didn't take their chances, and that's the reason they they lost the game 2-0. Oh, fair enough. Quick word on Leicester Callum. They beat Norwich 2-1. You were there. Relatively close game. Norwich probably putting in the best performance of the season. Leicester massacred full of injuries across the entire across the entire squad but soldiering on and getting an important three points yeah I'd probably describe it as what I said to people outside the ground I described it as one of those games where it could be an underrated win where it's one of those we weren't at our best but we managed to find a way to win which is I think it's particularly important you know as you said we're uh, we've got so many injuries and then we've got Ricardo as well. He went off with a tweak in his hamstring. So that's our entire first choice back four out injured at the minute, depending how long he's out for. But, you know, I feel like, you know, vintage Vardy, you know, perfect definition of one chance, one finish uh, uh, yesterday. Um, Norwich, there were signs of sort of, you know, you can see what they're doing and they definitely look better than when they last 
came up. They've been dealt a horrible hand with the fixtures, you know, the three, well, four Arsenal paper. That's a six-pointer, isn't it, after the break already? Um, you know, the, the penalty in real time, it didn't look like one. See the replay, it was a penalty. And I, I just think, like, they just didn't take their chances. That I think in the midfield, they were a bit weaker for Ndidi and Tielemans did really well in the middle together. Norwich, but like I said, it's, it's very much sim- similar to Wolves in that they had a tough start, so it's hard to judge them off these games. These aren't the games that you'd expect Norwich to win. Maybe you'd have expected them to get a point yesterday, but there's more important games where Norwich's season will be defined. And from what I saw of them yesterday, I think they'll be all right. Leicester not really shone in any of the three games so far this season, had glimpses, but I feel like it's sort of until most of the squad's back. But we desperately need a winger. Desperately need a winger. Hopefully we can get something done in a couple of days. Well, it was better than last week, at least. Anyway, in terms of, you mentioned the Arsenal, actually, uh, the the joke at Arsenal. I mean, Josh, how does it feel to see Arsenal where they are at the other end of the table, Tottenham after this 1-0 win over Watford, going to the top of the Premier League table? I mean, that is quite a remarkable contrast. Three 1-0 wins as well. Nuno Espirito Santo playing a brand of football, really, that's getting his team ahead and really good at holding on to leads. Now, of course... Watford and Wolves. I mean, to be fair, Wolves showed themselves again to be a very good outfit, as we've discussed. They managed to overturn Wolves, managed to overturn newly promoted Watford today, and Man City on the opening day. It's all quite rosy at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, isn't it? I mean, for now, I sort of it's always Spurs always do this thing. They sort of have a bit of a spell where they're top of the league or outperforming teams or beating City or doing better than Arsenal and then it all sort of comes crashing down a few months later and they sack a manager or whatever. Um, I am saying this in jest, obviously they, they are top of the league. There's There's got to be some credit in in getting three wins on the bounce, especially opening your season against the champions and they, they would enjoy sort of being top and Arsenal being rock bottom. Um, but we'll see how it goes. They've managed to keep Kane, which I think is crucial for their season. You sort of looked if he left, that's 20, 30 goals gone. Um, and who who comes in to sort of try and replace that? Vinicius didn't really work. Son and Moore and Ali sort of have never really been able to replicate the output that Kane's given them. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think Tottenham have got, probably gone up in my predictions by keeping Kane, but they're not going to win the league. They're not going to come top four and they probably won't win a trophy. So, I mean... They can enjoy it while while it lasts, but I, I don't think it's going to be a particularly fruitful season for them. But they it, can claim their finishing above Arsenal trophy for another year, but that would be about it. To be fair, I mean, I had them eighth, and I'm already thinking now I was definitely wrong there because um, I had Arsenal sixth as well. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, it's always difficult fools' games predictions at the start of the season, and just from Watford's point of view, then they. You know, did very, very well on the opening day to beat Aston Villa 3-2. They actually played rather well against Tottenham today, really took the game to Spurs in the second half, Lost narrowly lost out to Brighton last week as well. But one win out of three, it's not too bad in the opening fixtures for Watford. A little bit of hope there for them. I mean, to be fair, both Watford and Brentford, Brentford in particular, have had a very good start to the season, Harry. I mean, Brentford with a with a 1-1, 
against Aston Villa. Aston Villa, a team everyone expects to do really well because they spent a lot of money despite Grealish going. Sort of slowly going about the business. Nothing too spectacular as of yet, which we might see that for quite a while with all the new players they've bought. But then Brentford exceeding expectations, really, where you expect a period of, of bedding into the Premier League and they haven't really needed it because they haven't lost a game yet in the first three games. Always thought they'd have a bit of a honeymoon period, usually when a side like is fresh into the Premier League. I think we saw it with Huddersfield when they came up. They stormed the first season, had a great year, got relegated the next year. Same with Sheffield. They finished United. 17th, didn't they, in the first season? They still stayed up, though. You know, everyone had them bottom of the league, though, didn't they? No, I said 17th. Everyone, everyone predicted them to go down. <laughs> Same with Sheffield United. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. I'm never mind. You're probably right. I probably did put them 20th. But yeah, no, I, I get your point, actually. There is that, there is that Renaissance honeymoon period kind of thing. But I mean, I can't remember if I had them to go down, you know, but I, th- I don't think many people did. I might have done. Um, but they are they are surprising me. I think that direct and the ability to go direct and play out from the back is really, really helpful. And Tony got on, Tony and Wendia actually both scored in that game against Villa-Brentford. Really important for both of them. Wendia with a big price tag. Hasn't really delivered in the first two games, but a brilliant goal in that game. And then Tony as well hasn't scored up to this point. Real confident finish capitalising on poor Aston Villa defending. I mean, those two players you'd expect to do rather well in the top flight, wouldn't you? Yeah, especially Ivan Tony. I think he's had he's got all the minerals, hasn't he, to at least get 10 goals this season. That's a big reason why I think Brentford will stay up this season. Very important to have a goal scorer in this division. little shout-out for a celebration as well, winding up the Villa fans with a Birmingham City celebration. But like we said about Brentford, they've had a really good start of the season, quietly going about their business, five points from nine could easily be the surprise package of the season, couldn't they? They absolutely could. I mean, there could be a few surprise packages this season. We'll just have to wait and see how that unfolds. Now, of course, we do like to touch a little bit on European action towards the end, a little bit, I add, because, again, we don't have all day. And, you know, again, you could probably have a whole podcast dedicated to each individual league, and obviously we don't have that time. But I thought it was interesting that Juventus, post-Ronaldo, because Ronaldo's now gone, losing their second league game of the season, 1-0 to Empoli. That's one point out of six now for Max Allegri's team. Max Allegri coming in to replace Andrea Pirlo, who actually replaced Max Allegri. And coincidentally, Max Allegri didn't have the best relationship with Ronaldo, hence why Ronaldo was pushing to leave. Ronaldo has now left. I mean, Josh, Project Ronaldo for Juventus has been an absolute disaster, really, hasn't it? Because he was brought in to win the Champions League. His stats and his performances and his goals, he's absolutely delivered on that front, particularly domestically. But the fact is, they didn't win the Champions League. And by bringing Ronaldo in and paying him the money they, that they paid him, they had to get rid of a lot of exciting young talent. And that's kind of crippled the club in many ways. And now, now Ronaldo's gone. You know, they, do, they are in quite a dire, a dire situation because they've got the manager back that they initially sacked. And now they don't have the best, one of the best players in the world that they tried, moved heaven and earth to bring in. Yeah, Juventus is a really strange one. It was, I didn't understand the signing of Bernardo, sort of him leaving Madrid and going to Juve because they, they hadn't won one before. It's not he was going to a team with Champions League pedigree. And I know they reached a few finals, but they never really came out on top. Um, I mean, obviously, commercially, you don't turn down Ronaldo, but it was a strange one, especially going sort of from La Liga with that sort of messy rivalry to to um, Italy with nothing really there. And they've sort of just declined from then. I know they they won um, the trophy a couple of seasons ago, but they sort of missed out. They probably nearly didn't even deserve Champions League last season on that form, even with Ronaldo's goals. And they probably, probably dragged them to it. Um, 
So yeah, I think I think it's a chance almost for Juventus to rebuild. They've got a lot of they had a lot of exciting young talents. I think it's Italy, there's still a lot of sort of chance and place for them there. And it looks like they're signing it signing Moise Keane back um on loan. So a chance for them to rebuild, obviously back under Allegri, that Ronaldo sort of ego thing, maybe he's gone a bit, they can have a career out of the dressing room, still with some big leaders there in defence. But I don't know, they it's probably not a big deal to make of it. I think it's only really being talked about because Ronaldo's not there anymore. I think if they'd have lost with Ronaldo, it wouldn't really be a big deal. But uh, expect them to be fine, as fine as you can be in Syria when they finished fifth last season. But it'll be okay. They'll they'll be back sort of to Europe City, not too distant future. Yeah, I think you you, you would imagine so. They're, they're a humongous club. They're, they're a club that dominated that that league for a very very long time. I started by Antonio Conte and, and carried on really from there. And you would expect, it, they're, they're in a bit of a crisis from that perspective. But yeah, they should be challenging for the Champions League, no doubt. They've got some wonderful players in that group. And again, hopefully from their point of view, they don't suffer like some of the other previous Italian uh, giants have suffered. I mean, Lazio is actually top this week with a 6-1 win over Spezia and Inter in second at the time of recording, also winning 3-1. One this weekend as well at the time of recording as well Milan 4-1 up over Cagliari so theoretically could actually leapfrog into and Lazio because there's half an hour left in that game at the time of recording and they could maybe uh, maybe jump, jump up that table a little bit more also interesting because there's a really big interesting transfer this week regarding or transfer speculation should I say with Kylian Mbappe. Now, Kylian Mbappe has made no secret he's not going to sign a new deal at PSG, Harry. He wants to leave the club and he's going to be a free agent in 12 months. However, well, however, plot twist, Real Madrid come in and say, actually, we'll pay 180 million euros for you. And Kylian Mbappe thinks, oh, I can go now, save myself 12 months, really want that. A few reports actually suggesting that Real Madrid didn't actually want to pay that money. More of a suggestion that we want you more than everyone else does, but please, PSG, don't accept our money because really we can't afford it at present. And he's starting actually for PSG at this time of recording, and he scored for PSG at this time of recording. So the chances of him going with a few days to go, I mean, it could happen, and I'll look like an idiot if you're listening and it has happened, but what do we think about that? I mean, Real Madrid actually won 1-0 over Betis this weekend. Courtois was considered to be man of the match by many people suggests how they did and Carver Hal scored so maybe well although Benzema provided the assist essentially Mbappe to Real Madrid feels like it will happen at some point the question is whether it's for free in 12 months time or a, or for a mega mega money bid now if that happens that unlocks the possibility for Haaland to go to PSG but can this transfer window get any crazier or or do we think nah this isn't going to happen realistically Haaland says with BVB for one more year and then PSG keep Mbappe for one more year. You never know with this transfer window. We all thought Ronaldo was going to Man City one morning, and then the night time he's, he's signed for Man United. The Mbappe saga is crazy. I've been trying to follow it over the last week. But the, the mad thing about it all is, how do Real Madrid have all this money? They were the same club saying that we're totally skint off the, you know, the, the, that's why we need the Super League. And now they can afford to spend 180 million euros on killing Mbappe. Something doesn't add up there. And I think the main reason why they're forwarding all this money is because they're frightened that a Premier League club is going to come in and take them on a, on a free transfer on a pre-contract in January. Mm. And Steve Bruce maybe throw his hat into the ring for that one or 
Oh, he'd be interested. There's no doubt about that. He's no Alan St. Maximan, though, is he? Or Cornet. Couldn't mm. lace his boots. Tell no, you that absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, Bayern also won 5 0 this weekend. Surprise, surprise. Dortmund 3 2 win over Hoffenheim. Quite an exciting game because, similarly to in the Newcastle game, Hoffenheim got a 2 2 equaliser and then Erling Haaland scored one minute later to give Dortmund a victory there. So, yeah, there's been plenty of action across Europe. Plenty of action for sure with the remaining days in the transfer window. You might be listening to this after the transfer window is finished, in which case you will know everything that has happened. But Hopefully, well, that'll probably be something we end up discussing next week's podcast. That's how time works wonderfully well. Thank you for joining me, Josh, at such short notice. Thank you for joining me, Harriet, just at such short notice. And Callum, thanks for returning after your hiatus last week. I missed you. Oh, you're too kind to me. Give us a, well, you're obviously listening, but do give us a subscribe if you like what you've heard. Do give us a review on your wonderful podcasting platforms if you would be so kind, so long as it's a nice review. And don't make me cry with a nasty review. We want to help each other. And those nice reviews will help boost our reach on the podcasting platform up front. And it would mean a lot to me, mean a lot to Callum, mean a lot to Josh and Harry as well, because, of course, you know, they, they, it, would, it, it would be specifically for them that you're giving that nice review, of course, not for me, because I'm just a narcissistic so-and-so. Thanks for listening. Stay safe in these crazy coronavirus times. Although they're getting a bit less crazy, which is good to see with the with the return of full stadiums. And yeah, tune in next week, 7 a.m. Monday BST. Thanks a lot, everyone.